You know, it's um, a fascinating fact that um, words and names change the course of history. Jesus' name is a powerful name, the most powerful name. The Bible declares that in his name, every knee shall bow. It's a statement of fact, not right now, but there is a day coming when the whole world will know that that name is above every name. We declare it here by faith today. It's not quite the case just yet because there's lots of knees that haven't bowed to him. But there's a day coming. I hope you believe that. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff that we can believe. Our theme for the month is believing is seeing, which is obviously the reverse of the commonly proclaimed phrase, seeing is believing. But Jesus himself said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Um, what does that actually mean? What does the word bless mean to you? I was thinking about it before I got up here. I thought, you know, blessing is really, you can think about it being abundance and stuff coming into our life, but I reckon blessings is just this thing. Total, complete and utter satisfaction, contentment. In other words, I'm not longing for anything. When I'm blessed, I am completely full of life. I'm completely full of everything I need. The Bible says I've got it already anyway. I just need to believe it to see it. Seeing what I haven't got is the fastest road to not believe that I'm blessed. But the other way around, if I believe first that I am blessed because the Bible tells me that I am, then I have got everything I need pertaining to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. Let me pray. We're going to come around to word this morning. I've got a great word. It's going to stir our hearts, I hope. It is so cool to see you at church this morning. Smartest decision you made all week is to come to the house of God. Let me pray. Father God, we pray this morning that we let the words in this message, the ones that have got the anointing on them, the ones that have got a perfect fit to slot into our world as individuals, pray over the words that are going to be spoken that will slot into the corporate world of this church, both here in Harndorf and in Parkside. Words change everything. You spoke the creation into being with words. We confess with our lips for the very first time that Jesus is Lord. That changes our life. What we say about what we have and what we haven't got, Lord, determines where we end up. Pray, Lord, today that each one of us would be leaning into you and the possibilities the future holds for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Tap your neighbor, have a seat, and get ready for action. Okay, guys, you can have a seat for a bit. <laughs> um, if you were at prayer meeting during the week, Wednesday night, some of the thoughts that are coming out of the pulpit this morning are uh, further developed from that uh, hour of power. Can I put it to you that getting to prayer meeting on a Wednesday night is also one of the smartest choices you could make in your life? It's one hour of your time every fortnight, more or less, once a month, yep. Um, and uh, prayer really does change things. It can sound a bit trite to say it, but it does. The Bible itself says, we have not because we ask not. So if there's things in your life that you haven't got it's possible that you've not actually asked God either at all or you've asked God for something that he doesn't actually want you to have that's not good for you or 
there's lots of things about that that are complicated to explain in a moment of time, but my point really is that the words we choose to say, the words that we choose to share, the things that we let come out of here are so important. So this th- series th- this month is Believing is Seeing. And I found myself, strangely enough, in a couple of, well, in a particularly strange chapter of the Bible to unpack this. And it was the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is found in Genesis chapter 19. And it's the story of this part of the world which is down, believed to be down around where the Dead Sea was. There's no actual, not a lot of evidence that Sodom and Gomorrah... Um, as in uh, archaeological evidence of it, there's lots of tar pits and stuff, and there's it's it's just a complicated part of the world, uh, and it certainly sounds like from this story it got fried well and truly back in some point this point in history, and it's like what's that all about? And there's some there's amazing stuff in this story about God. Number one, number one is God does not want us to be living in the monk's sin. And so faith in Christ, even, and I don't mean we can't have people who are, and we all are sinners saved by grace. It's, it's not like we can't be in it, but there's this sense in which we are brought out of it. And I want you to think of the word brought out and say it to me loudly, brought out. Brought out. So God brings us out of places. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, in this story, which is before that occurred, we've got a guy called Lot, who is Abraham, who's featured earlier in the story of the narrative of Genesis, as the guy that God spoke to. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and you're going to have nations are going to come out of you. And at that point in time, he had no kids, and his wife was barren and unable to have children. It's a fascinating story in and of itself. Lot is his nephew, and he's hanging around with him, and they become so wealthy and so kind of their families uh, expanding with um, wealth that they decide to part company. And Lot finds himself with his wife and his two daughters living in a, in a city called Sodom. And uh, God, in the story, says to Abraham, I've heard a great outcry against this city because it is so depraved. It is so sick. It's so off the rails. And I'm going to actually get rid of it. Now, we can focus on the vindictive, in our view, the kind of God judging and destroying and lose sight of the fact this story is more about God delivering. Because the the brutal reality is, I don't know if you've noticed, but it would appear the world is full of a whole lot of problems at the moment. There's a whole lot of strife going on. There's a whole lot of difficulties that nations are facing, individuals are facing, and what God's into is not being apportioned, well, I don't think he should be. He's not being apportioned blame for the bad things that are going on. God is continuously looking for people to believe and see there's a better way to live, to believe and see there's another way to be. And in fact, it requires being brought out of whatever it is that you're stuck in. You might not be stuck in Sodom, Lot and his family were. You might be stuck in a lousy cycle of debt. You might be stuck in a toxic friendship. You might be stuck in a marriage that's just gone a bit cold and you're just going through the motions. Well, God doesn't want to wreck that. He wants to bring it out. 
wants to bring you out, wants to bring you into a new season. He's the God who brings us out. Isn't that good? It's like, so it's like, and bringing, it out, bringing us out might mean relocating us. This story it did, but it might mean that we're just brought out of the mindset that we're caught in. It might be brought out of the unforgiveness that we're living with. It might be brought out of the anxiety or stress that's sitting in our life. God is a God who delivers us from our troubles and he lifts us out. He brings us out into a new day. The two angels arrived, chapter 19, verse 1, at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet, spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. Even at that point, in this story, the angels and God is delaying the inevitable, looking for, say looking. God's always looking, looking for a glimmer of hope. And it's not hope for him, but a glimmer of hope in you. A glimmer that, that you might get it, that you might believe something, and that would mean you can see something you currently can't see. In the story of Sodom, alongside the obvious unpacking a little later in the verses that it's a town that is just very sensual, carnal, sexual, uh, and in, in every sense of the word, wrongly. But it's also got a problem that this little part of the story unpacks, and this is where Lot stands aside from the rest of the crowd in that city. He is hospitable. He's actually looking for strangers coming into his city to offer them hospitality. There's not one other citizen in the city looking, not one. And so the angels say, no, we're going to stay the night in the square. Now, I don't think they had any intention of staying in the square for the night. They're waiting to see whether anybody gets it. Is there anybody else in this city that's got hospitality on them? Anybody else that's going to welcome a stranger? into the life. Is there anybody else that believes in the goodness of God? And there isn't. The only family in there, God knew that. The angels knew that. But it's like God's always wanting to leave so much space for you to change your mind. He's so patient. So patient with me. He needs to be. I'm a stubborn old coot. Just ask Julie. I am stubborn. I sometimes take a little while to get, get with the program. I'm a little slow on the uptake. Anybody relate to that? Not about me, but about yourself, you know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> got a friend in John Tomer. Oh, it's all good. So I'll, I'll move on. There's plenty in this message. So he insisted strongly. How desperate are you to do what God wants you to do? How desperate? Or is it, oh, I guess I should. I guess I ought to. Can we do that? Can, can you help me with that? Oh, I guess if you want me to. How desperate. Well, that word des is like I'm desperate to do what God wants me to do. I've got to tell you, I don't live like that that often. I probably should. And I need to be brought out of complacency into excitement. I need to be brought out of, oh, I guess I can do that if you want me to, to I'd love to help. How can I do it? What can I do for you? I need God to change me in here and here to move from that 
to that. So he insisted strongly, and so strongly, that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baked bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men of every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men you have come with you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. It's like, okay, this is where the story starts getting a little tacky. And it's definitely used by various people to justify certain views about certain things. But I don't think at one level it's the point of the story. It is that there is there's depravity that we as people can find ourselves locked in and living in. And there's a God who wants to come and rescue anybody who will believe out of that. I said anybody who will believe. There was nobody in that city at this point in the story, I don't think, who was not able to get the same exit that Lot and his wife got if they turned to God. You might be sitting in church this morning, have heard lots of things about God over the course of your life. Maybe you've been a Christian and consider yourself a relatively or highly connected and committed Christian, but you're still stuck in a Sodom. There's something going on in your life that's, that it, it's never been a, a place of freedom. I've got to tell you, God patiently waiting for the day that you believe and act, waiting for the day you believe and see and come out of that. Let it go, because it can happen. You know what really bugs me about certain things is, I was going to start with this, and it's come back to my head, so I'm going to say it. We are so conditioned, in my view, to look for, pedal in, and promulgate, promulgate bad news. Bad news is all around us. There's so much bad news. The coronavirus is like, it's the end of the world. We've got financial recessions on the, on the go. Yet the Bible says, the angels turned up, so we're bringing you good news. The gospel itself means good news. God wants us to push back every skerrick of bad news. If you've had a bad prognosis or diagnosis at the doctor or at health professionals in the last little while, that might be, in your view, bad news. Well, I've got good news for you. There's a God who, he actually delivers good news. He's in the business of bringing us out of the darkness of bad news into the light of good news. Anyone say, hey, that's what I'm onto? Anyone excited at that? It's like, that's what God wants us to live out of, no matter what our literal circumstance looks like on the outside. If we've got a sense on the inside that there's a God, the God of heaven and earth, lives in the realm of light, he lives in the realm of love, he lives in the realm of forgiveness, he lives in the realm of mercy, he lives in the realm of grace, that's good news. How much of that do I give people? Ask yourself this question, how gracious are you of people who make mistakes? How gracious are you of people whose personality really rubs you up the wrong way? How much mercy do you give to that person who cut in on the freeway and gave you the bird sign and leaned out the window screaming obscenities at you. you know, are you gracious? It's like, God bless you. Because I don't, I never do anything on the freeway to make them do that to me. So Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him. He said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Now, this is where the story gets even more, in our point of view, this is a really difficult verse to read. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like to with them. 
I've got a daughter and two daughters-in-law, and I'm thinking as a dad, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, it's like, I don't think I could go there. Like, and I don't think from the facts in the story, we're meant to labour on the, the actual, the narrative and the details that are here. There's nothing, it, the story stands on its own strength and it'll survive any criticism, trust me, because it's in the Bible. Um, but that aside, the issue really is the extent to which Lot will go to not violate his hospitality of total strangers. Strange story, right? You just got to get your head... I don't know about you, but reading the Old Testament can be a little challenging at times. It's helping you to come through this one without too many scars. <laughs> okay. But listen to their response. So he's been living... I don't know... I didn't actually research whether any commentators have worked it out by looking at other texts... Uh, previous and after that, um, how long Lot and his wife have been living in this city. But this is what they have to say to him. Get out of our way. This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Listen to this. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. So not only could they not see what was wrong with themselves as a city, now they could not see at all, which is basically where one ends up when one's blind to little things, one becomes blind to big things. You can't get around the fact the Bible says that he or she who's faithful with a little will be faithful with much. Interesting that that can apply to the things that aren't good for you. A little bit of blindness about certain issues can lead to a lot of blindness about lots of issues. Don't let the words of the Bible escape from you as it's just a few other words like they are words that'll change the course of history in our lives so the two men said do you have anyone else here sons-in-law sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you they are still looking for the ones who actually believe the ones who actually get something we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Again, this story with the actual facts of that action and the fact that the city is destroyed is a difficult one from a 21st century mindset to get around. Well, does God do stuff like that? And I think we've got to at one level say, yes, he did. But at another level, we've got to go, the point of the story is not about the destruction of Sodom. Only, It is about the release of Lot. It's about the fact that you have been pulled out of a place like Sodom. When you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, he's pulled you out of the place that will eventually kill you. Because it says in the Bible elsewhere, the wages of sin is death. There's no other outcome for sin and the human condition apart from faith in Christ. That's a good news story. It is bad news. There's an end, end game and it's called 
um, it's, it's hell, whatever that is. Let's just call that eternal separation from God. His desire, however, is to bring us out of that destiny and drop us smack bang in the middle of eternal life with him forever, full of everything that we could possibly, it's hard to get a head around like, what am I going to need in heaven? I've got no idea, but I know I'm not going to need anything because everything that he wants me to have, I'll have and I'll be sweet. Anyone say I'm into that? So, uh, verse 14, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. But they weren't too happy about father-in-law offering their fiancés to the angry crowd. But anyway, so he said, hurry up and get out of this place because the law is about to destroy it. But the sons-in-law thought he was joking. They heard the words, but they didn't believe them. That happens in church every week when a preacher preaches the gospel. You hear the words, and there's a moment, a moment in time when you and I have to make a decision, I either believe or I don't. And the moment I believe, there's a shift coming. Say shift. There's a new season coming. There's a new day coming. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that God's into making things new. I love the fact that God's got a plan. God's got a plan for your life and mine. If you're in the middle of a difficult season in your life, or maybe it's been a difficult life, full stop, I don't know all your stories. I've got to tell you, it doesn't matter where and how and what's gone previously, today, right now, this message can be a moment in time where he brings you out. What I love about this is just things we're in the zone of the power of words. It's very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very um, in to come out, to reveal your true self, to come out and declare to the world who you are. That's not how God operates. God operates by bringing you out. He brought Lot and his family out. God is in the business of bringing us out. When anyone is in Christ, they are a brand new creation. You don't come out, you get out. You're brought out into a brand new living when you're in Christ. So let's keep the story rolling because it's got a well, it's got an interesting end. So with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, I just let, let me read this next little sentence. The men grasped him, grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and of his two daughters. Listen, God is so, so desiring for you to come out of that thing. How awesome is it that the angels, they weren't passive. They said, Michael, give me a hand. Get out of your seat, buddy, we're going. They literally pulled him out of where he was stuck. I don't know about you, that's a rescue mission. That's like the, the, the Navy SEALs turning up. Come on, we're getting out of here. You've been chained to a wall for two years, being tortured by some strange people on the planet, and these guys in black garb turn up, grab hold of you. you don't, they don't just sit there at the door and say, oh, excuse me, would you like to come? Would you like to respond to Jesus? Would you like to give your life to him? They go up and say, hey, Lorraine, 
I'm here to rescue you. Get out of your seat, woman, and come with me. We kind of pussyfoot around a little bit sometimes. We want to be politically cracked and not forceful. And I'm not saying that we manipulate or persuade people against their will. I tell you, when you're in a dark, dirty spot, most often, most people I've met that are in dark, dirty spots want some relief. Most people want a new day. They want a new way to live. Well, God is offering it to you. Who's happy about that? Come on. He's the God who rescues us. So he hesitated. The angels grab him and literally rip him out of, the, out of his house. Because um, it says, For the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. So Lot's a little bit freaking out still at this point in time. He's, he's still seeing because he's believing. He doesn't go, oh yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. Well, the Bible is full from the get-go. We actually sang one of the songs. He declared the end from the beginning. God's not left you and me in the dark to knowing or not knowing what's about to happen. There is a day. This, this is where it can get very complicated when there are people who are terrorised by the demise of planet Earth because of one thing or another. They live in a state of total panic and fear that it's, it's going to all go to custard. Well, the Bible says, don't worry, it's definitely going to custard. <laughs> Leaves no doubt in one's mind the, the world's it's got an end date. But the end date means there's a new day for a new thing. It's not like the end date, so we're all... We're all, we, we're all Cactus. It's an end date, and then there's the new thing. That's exactly what it means to get saved. At a personal level, there's an end day of being dead on the inside, in here and in here, dead in the spirit, unaware of what's going on. And then there's a day when we believe that we see, we see Jesus as the Son of God. We see salvation as something we can have for ourselves. We see a future. We see a new heaven and a new earth down the track. And we're no longer panicking about how bad things are on planet Earth because they are bad and we can panic about them like the next person. But we, of all people, should have an overarching sense of because we believe and can see the new heaven, the new earth. Anyone say, ooh, that's a stretch for me. That's a stretch, right? It's a little bit freaky to think. But that's what God's beckoning us to do. He wants to bring us out of despair, fill us with hope. He wants to bring us out of fi- out of. Uh, just freaking out about stuff to being contented. He's the God who brings us out. Ah, dear. So he goes on and he says, oh, look, let me just flee into this little little dump called Zohar and um, I'll be happy. It's too far to run. By the time they reached Zohar, the sun had risen over the land. The Lord rained down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities in the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Verse 26, but Lot's wife looked back. She became a pillar of salt. Strange little part of the story. I'll stop there with that part of the story. One of the interesting things about this story, of all the stories that Jesus could refer to in the New Testament, he refers to this story. And he refers to the story of Noah. In Luke chapter 17, let me just read these few verses, then I'll wrap up with a few thoughts and we'll see how we go. So verse 26, we're starting in Luke 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. This is 
the future. He's talking about days to come. Say future. There's stuff coming toward us. Our future is running towards us like a runaway train. Because some of us are not moving. So you can be stationary and your future is coming towards you whether you like it or not. Some of us are go-getters and we're going towards our future. But some of us are sitting on our hands, refusing to move. Let me tell you, the future is not on hold. It is running towards you. The day you die is running towards you. The day you X, Y, Z, the day you change, if you haven't changed in a certain arena of your life, is running toward you. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus is saying, linking those two stories to me, that what matters to God is that we believe about the future he has for us and that there are things going on behind the scenes that people who don't believe don't see. There's things, so if you're a person who believes that, that seeing is believing, I got bad news for you. It's not always true. In fact, it doesn't help you because by the time you see it, you're fried. If you were in Sodom and you were living out of the paradigm of seeing as believing, you'd go, oh my God, that's a, uh, what is that? <laughs> but Lot, believing was seeing. He believed the angels. He saw what they were saying. He heard what they were saying. He still hesitated, but he had a belief. Yeah. He's out of there. Verse 30, it will be just like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who's on the housetop with possessions inside should go down and get them. Wow. Likewise, no one who is in a field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Refers to her again. Woo. Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Why is he contrasting this so brutally? What's that about? It's about what you and I believe. Belief is the key. Belief in Jesus. Belief putting trust in Jesus. So what... For me, would I want to finish up a few thoughts here? Read a lot of scripture this morning. Number one, God still sends messengers to us who have the same message. He still lets messages from preaching like this message and what Tim preached on last week. They are messengers, even not the words, the actual narrative, what's said, the context in which it's delivered. Church is a place where we encounter angelic-like and sometimes, literally, angels are speaking to us when we don't even know it. God's saying, flee from the things that will kill you. What are you doing today? If I could have a private conversation and you could identify, what are you currently doing that is actually killing you? That's not redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Just a pondering thought.
His invitation right now is to come out of that. Let him bring you out of that. Get out of that. And don't look back. Do not look back. Don't hold on to what has previously sustained you. So a few questions to finish up. What has he brought us out of? Or what is he in the process of bringing you out of this morning? Get thankful. Say, thank you, God, I'm on my way out. I'm on my way into the new season. I'm on, on the way into a new chapter in my life. I'm in, into a new season of whatever. It's like seeing that is about believing it first. Not waiting for it to turn up. Not waiting to see it and then, oh, isn't God good? No, I need to start saying God's good now so that I can see it down the track. Maybe you're caught up in a dead-end world. Job, relationship, friends, finances, coming to Christ is about being brought out of those places. Experience, life experience is a wonderful thing as long as it doesn't exert too much pressure on us. And it does. Because it can cause us to get stuck. I'm not doing that again. I'm not reaching out to new friends. I'm not going to have that hard conversation. Last time I did that, I got belted up. I'm not going to trust that. Your life experience, on the one hand, is there to preserve you from making really foolhardy decisions that are physically going to take you out or mentally. But on the other hand, it's like you can get stuck where God doesn't want you to get stuck. The people of Solomon got stuck in, in an arena of carnality and they got stuck in an arena of lacking hospitality. What they were doing, unbeknownst to them, because they couldn't see it, was it was killing them. Come out of it. Get out of it. Let God bring you out of it. (laughs) Interesting that doing that, there's still the exhortation from the angels to flee. So there's a point at which God will take you and bring you out of that. This is a bit of counselling for a new Christian. You believe because you've actually encountered Jesus that you're a new creation. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, it's kind of a little confusing. Early days, I'm I'm absolutely convinced of that. The next step in this narrative for a new Christian is to flee. flee. Flee from the things that previously trapped you. Like, Don't just be passive about them. Actively move away from them. Actively move out of their sphere of influence. Flee from them. Fleeing, it's not meant to be fleeing out of fear. It's fleeing out of choice. I'm running away from that. This is not a fear issue at all. This is a, a rock solid decision. That used to be how I lived. I found Christ. He's put a new deal in my life. Now I'm going to run away from that thing. I'm not afraid it's going to capture me anymore. I'm just going to get the heck out of there. I'm not going there anymore. So how willing are you to flee? From the old to the new. Third thought. Point, I thought was look to the future and don't stop in what you feel comfortable in. Lot's wife became a pillar of salt. Let me say this another way. She became what she would not believe. She lived in a salt plain. Dead seas, 450 square, uh, square meters, 450 meters below sea level. It is hot. It is salty. We went into a shop in the Dead Sea, next to the Dead Sea, not in the Dead Sea, but next to the Dead Sea, and there were pillars of salt. They just grow. There's so much salt. There's so much. It's just so interesting place. So what did she become a pillar of salt? That's an interesting thing to try and 
but it came to me that the reason she became a pillar of salt is to remind us that we become what we won't leave. It'll define us. If you become a Christian, you won't leave pornography behind. It'll become a pillar of salt. There's other habits that you used to do that didn't get, the power of them didn't get broken the moment you gave your heart to Jesus. I got good news, he wants to bring you out of that. But you've got to be prepared to flee. And don't turn back and think, oh yeah, I remember the good old days when I used to come home from work and have 16 beers and just write myself off and go back to work the next day. Like, don't medicate, run to Jesus. As in self-medicate with alcohol or other things. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, got, gotcha. So look to the future. And then the last thing that's in this was run to the hills. Now, Lot didn't quite make that step. He stopped and said, can we just go to this other little town and you'll save us? He missed out probably what I think is the most important step. Because fleeing to the hills, the hills, mountains, in the Bible, nearly always are an allegory for worship. So after this momentous being brought out of calamity, fleeing for their lives, being encouraged to not look back, the key to holding all that together is to become a worshipper. So we're going to get the music team back up and we're going to worship to finish this morning. I don't know about you, but, but maybe worship is something you don't connect as a key to remaining out of what it is that God's brought you out of. It's a key to being the person who actually is a brand new creation. Run to worship, front-footed worship in church always. Like shame on you, this is a bit of pastoral care 101 from the pastor. Shame on you for the days you've walked into church. Shame on you. Shame on you the days you've walked in church. Look at that. Shame on you. The Bible is encouraging. Get that stuff off you. Front-footed. All hell can be breaking loose around you. The person who wins is the person who puts their hands up in worship. If you've got something seriously got a hold of you this morning in in this part of your world, in your life, I just invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Where you're seated. I want everyone to have a moment to just be brutally honest with God. I want to be able to ask you to slip your hand up in a minute. I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself or any of the issues that are bubbling around in your heart right now. But I want to pray with you to encourage you that God will bring you out of whatever that thing is. And He expects you to flee from it from there on in. And then he encourage you to worship because worship will keep you locked on to the victory. It'll keep you locked in to your salvation. It'll keep you locked on the trajectory. The narrow path that Tim talked about last week is wrapped up in worship, not in complaint, not in despair. Decide to worship. If I've said something this morning that's tugged on a heartstring, about an arena of your life where you're currently just stuck 
I'd love you to slip your hand up and say, yes, Bruce, that, that actually makes sense to me. Because I want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come out the front or do anything. I just want you to slip your hand up and hold it up for me. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless. God bless you. So awesome to see people seriously pushing into God. God bless you. Anyone else? Thank you, God. Just let me pray then. Probably about seven or eight people slip their hand up, which is absolutely beautiful. Bible describes that God is scouring the earth, just looking for that, like a hand. That's me. So be confident He saw your hand. Be confident He's watching you. Be confident that He wants to bring you out. Be confident that He wants you to flee from that thing. Be confident that He wants you to begin worshipping Him around that thing so you can live in victory. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, today I pray that these steps that are in this story would open the way for us to live in victory. There's no going back. We're not going to be like Lot's wife and look back and go, I wonder, and get stuck there. Lord, we are the people who live in freedom. Declare freedom, I declare power of God resting on every person who slipped their hand up. But right now there's an anointing upon us, Lord. It's almost like we can feel somebody grab our hand and say, come on, it's time to move. And they're literally pulling us out of that context towards a greater day. And we declare this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody was able to say together, Amen.